Hey there, and welcome back to the backwoods. This is Jeff. I got Ben with me. I guess we're here to talk about when it's time to take away Grandpa's keys, Ben. <laughs> you doing okay? Yeah. How about yourself? Yeah, man. It's going okay. Kind of busy with uh, school starting back and whatnot, but it's all good stuff to be busy with. Yeah. Um, I guess what we really wanted to get into with this episode is um, when you sometimes you have an elderly parent or grandparent and dementia begins to set in or they're just, you know, they can't see real well, can't hear real well, can't pay attention. And you have to have that difficult meeting where you sit down with them and you're like, you know, we can't let you drive anymore. We love you. We respect you. We care about you deeply. But you can't drive anymore. You're a danger to yourself, a danger to other people. We have, we have to take away power of attorney because you're making decisions, not only to yourself, but also to your children. Um, and I think in the world of um, the, the Christian evangelical world, and, and really the world broadly, but we won't get into that, I think we have long passed the time where we've needed to have that conversation with the previous generation. So, Ben, that is right out of my own experience. I uh, I live on a multi-generational farm, and there's literally a, a patriarchal grandfather uh, that was in my life, widely respected in our community, had served the community in various ways, just wonderful. But I remember distinctly as a kid, twice, someone calling us and saying, your grandpa is up here and he doesn't know how to get home. And it was awful because this is a man that we had leaned on uh, in so many different ways. And he had served so many different people. And I have no qualms saying he was eminently worthy of respect, but he couldn't take care of himself in basic ways again. And so how do you navigate saying, we love you, we respect you, but we also can't let you be autonomous. Um, it was a very difficult season for our family, and, and it's the kind that I know countless other families face, and it really is an apt uh, metaphor for some of what needs to take place in institutional evangelicalism. Yeah, it, and as you're, I hope the listener can hear in both, in both of the ways we're describing this, it's not as though we you know, despise the previous generation or hate all boomers or you know, whatever the, the meme going around is. It's certainly not that. But there is a real sense in which um, the the world has moved on from the problems and issues and uh, battles that that generation fought, and in many ways fought very faithfully in. I think about um, you know Al Mohler in at Southern Seminary working to root out the, the liberals that were at the seminary, or you know John MacArthur on CNN with uh, Larry King, where he would you know. Just come out and say, you know, the Bible forbids homosexuality. This is not what God uh, has prescribed for humanity. And he wasn't afraid to tell people that. And that was, you know, a, a great stand for truth in a time where people were being weasels. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about Doug Wilson has for a long time, especially culturally, just been a, a stalwart of, of standing against the tide of um, cultural uh, decay and in a lot of ways has been faithful in that. I think of um, the, uh, I think it was at the University of Idaho. Is that what it was? Where he gave those like a couple day um, lecture on uh, marriage and, and homosexuality and things like that. And had the, the hordes of pink hair and uh, um, gay and lesbian students ch- shouting him down the entire time. And he did a, a, a wonderful job of presenting the case 
there. Yep. Yep. Um, and so I don't want to say that these men have been, you know, useless or faithless or anything like that, but you reach a certain point where the, the battle lines have shifted to a degree where um, it, it's no longer the fight that they're, they're ready for or even capable of. And it's, it's time for them to sort of sit down and let the next generation take over. And I think more broadly speaking, one of the common criticisms people of my generation have had of the boomer generation is that they, there was no succession plan. It was, you know, um, people are going to criticize me for saying this part, but this is just the way it is. You know, I've got my, my three houses, my two boats, and I'm ready to retire. And the kids are looking around like, well, what do we do now? Where is our inheritance? And I think we have a similar thing happening in the institutional evangelical world where young guys are, are coming up now and, and have been you know, discipled by these guys who stood strong for the truth in a lot of ways and are now ready to go further. But they've got, they've got no inheritance to work with because the older generation has given them nothing and is, in fact, discouraging them in many ways from continuing the work. And it can be very frustrating for the young guys. And so I think one of the things we wanted to talk about in this episode for, you know, the future of Christianity is to what to what degree do we need to take away the keys metaphorically from our fathers? faith? And how do you do that with respect? Right. And uh, I mean, here's the other version of that too, Ben, that we didn't talk about in advance. But think about with my own family, even when it was time to take away grandpa's keys there was still a lot that he brought to the table. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, he, for instance, he had he had been sort of a, a small-town veterinarian. And so while we couldn't send him to town to pick up stuff anymore, when it came time to say, what does this particular hog need? Or what does, you know, how would you, how would you train a dog to, to do what you need it to do on the farm and whatnot? He was a wealth of... Yes. Uh, resources. And we, you know, it it was a delight for me. One of the things my grandfather did is that he was a, he was a great banjo player, or at least in my eyes, he was a great banjo player. And so when we had a chance to say, Hey, Pap, we need some help down here on the farm, or you feel like getting out the banjo. um, I I rejoiced in that because it was a way to say, look, you're still bringing stuff to the table, you know, and we're still deeply appreciative of what you bring to the table. And uh, it became, it's kind of its own sweet reward to kind of go back and be like, this is where you've still got a fastball. We need you to throw it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's a great example because even with the guys that I'm talking about, I don't want it to sound like I'm saying they have nothing to offer us anymore, yeah. but maybe they've slowed down a little bit. They don't quite have the energy for the fight anymore. They can't go out and throw hay bales around anymore, but they still have a lot to offer, mm-hmm. but it, it's time to let the young guys go out there and throw the hay bales around, fire the guns. And I think more uh, in a lot of ways, this isn't so much an episode geared towards the young guys, but it's more to me. I'm, I'm gearing this towards the older guys. I don't want to say, you know, don't, don't hold them back. Don't tell them they can't go, go fight. Be, be the, the, the grandfather who sits back and plays the banjo and encourages war because this war is going to happen. Whether you think it's a a wise thing or not, the fight's going to happen. And what we need is guys who are going to be wise and if this is something I was tweeting about earlier today. We need the guys who are going to temper that zeal because the zeal of young people, and I'm thinking even younger than myself because you know I'm, I'm reaching middle age at this point, but the, the zeal of these young guys in like their early 20s, and I was one at one point, 
like age stagey guys who are ready to go to battle over infra lapsarianism versus super lapsarianism like that zeal and hunger for truth is great but it needs to be tempered and it needs to be focused and the way to not temper and focus it is to to laugh at them and make fun of them and discourage the the desire for fight but but instead to to point them in the right direction and give them the right weapons man that's so well said and this is why this exact kind of moment if it's in, let's say, a royal family who needs to, you know, a king has to hand off to his successor or a CEO who own or who, uh, an owner of a business who is also the CEO needs to hand it off to the next generation. It just so rarely goes right because it requires godly humility in both parties. It yeah. requires godly humility in the older person saying this individual is not just a screw up nincompoop who is going to ruin everything I built. And it takes godly humility for these guys who are strong and they have the energy uh, and, and even some insights that um, are more timely than the the predecessor to say, actually, he brings a lot to the table and wisdom is a crown of glory. And I need to know where he thinks I should be pointing the guns. Right. Um, so it's really a call to both sides to say we need to handle this well because yeah. there's good things that could be lost. But if we if we handle it well. Man, we can move from strength to strength. Yep, absolutely. And, and uh, a, a father and son duo who have that down right are a formidable. Oh, gosh, absolutely. Because, um, I mean, it's, it's as though, I mean, well, the Bible tells us exactly what it is. Arrows in the quiver. I mean, really, isn't it also the dream of every father and son? Right. I mean, if you right. don't hate your dad. Yeah, I, think I, was, every- I was thinking of the Godfather. Mm-hmm. When uh, Michael Corleone finally, you know, comes into his own, what does he do? He replaces Tom Hagen with his father, and then yeah. has these these training sessions of like, here's the thing, here's what you need to learn, Here, here's here's the way to move forward. And while you know we're not endorsing the mafia, that that relationship of the 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 father who is now you know downloading all of his knowledge and wisdom to his son, so that his son can go do the hard thing, is incredible and. I think every young guy, uh, whether he knows it or not, with any kind of sense, craves that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And honestly, as a dad, that's what I want most with my kids. Like, I'm, I don't feel like I'm quite ready for the pasture yet, but I hope <laughs> that uh, I'm bringing my kids up with me. And as my strength declines, I can hand it over to them and say, now you go see what you can do with it. You know, uh, I feel like I have brought this up on multiple podcasts, but uh, I always think of the Wendell Berry poem, the Mad Farmer Manifesto it talks about uh, cultivating the, the tree that you didn't plant. that You will not live to harvest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and this is a part of that is that you, you as a father or as a grandfather who is ready to pass things on, you have to recognize that you're building something that you're not going to see to complete. And as a son, you have a duty to recognize that you have a duty to continue the work that your fathers gave you. Yep. You, you, don't get to, you don't get to be the prodigal son who says, I want my inheritance now, and then go squander it either. Like there, there's duties on both sides of this. Um, I think that probably we have more sons listening than we do. I don't think Doug and John MacArthur and Al yeah. Mulder are eagerly waiting <laughs> to the for, Backwoods Belief podcast. Right. Right. 
So if I can say something as a guy who's lived long enough to see the end of my dad's life on the horizon, right? Like I'm not rooting for it. I hope it's decades from now, but it's coming. If the Lord gives both of us a natural lifespan, it's on the horizon. Um, I grew up as a guy who really despised, and I mean that not in hatred, but just thought little of what my father brought to the table because he didn't know who uh, Kierkegaard was, and he couldn't, uh, you know, map out the sacred secular split, uh, starting with Descartes, right? Stuff like that. Yeah, Yeah. And as I've gotten older, thank God, I've become wiser. And what I've talked to my wife about is that when my dad dies, and I really think this is true for the boomer generation, they take a lot of heat. But when the boomer generation dies, it's going to be like the burning of the library at Alexandria. Yeah. There is a tremendous wealth of resources that will disappear into the ground with them until God gives us a great resurrection. And really, I think the project for sons and grandsons is to try to harvest as much of that as is possible. And part of that is going to be by trying to get them to buy into the process. Yeah. So my grand, uh, my wife had a had an incredible grandfather, traveled the world, just incredible life story. And uh, one one year, I said, "Look, I need you to take two weeks, and I want you to take this recorder, and I just want you to get your opa talking, because your family needs to to have an audio archive of his stories and these details, you know." And uh, thankfully, we got that. Um, but I, re- I, re- I legitimately think that's a project for people our age and younger to yeah. try to draw out as much of that as we can before we just don't have that shot anymore. Yeah, it can it can be difficult when the the previous generation might be unwilling to participate in that. And I think that I think that's something that a lot of younger guys have felt frustration with um, is that. They, they want to be a part of the mission and continue it on, but there's nothing for them to pass, like to carry on. There's nothing been given to them. And I, I think that's a, a, a difficult thing that guys, you know, my age and even the next generation are just going to have to deal with and still learn to obey the fifth commandment, you know, honor your father and your mother and uh, respect them and love them. But, but also realize that, you know, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to start the mission here. It's gonna have to start with me, and it honoring my father and mother may look like not doing what they do and not listening to what they have to say. Let me let me throw something in the hopper that I think needs to be considered on this again because I think we're mostly talking to sons and grandsons. Yeah. So there's a relative in my life who um, was a very frugal and wise, hardworking person in tremendous ways. He just lived simply made wise decisions, uh, live below his means, and he has ended at the end of his life you know, comparatively fairly well off. Not Jeff Bezos, but very well. And um, now one of the failures there is that this individual did, did end up divorced. So in our little neck of the woods, um, I, uh, I got a package from a UPS guy several years ago. And the UPS guy read my last name and realized I was related to this person. And he said, are you related to so-and-so? And And I kind of worked out the the relationship because that's kind of 
that's one of the things I love about living where I am. We kind of know each other. And this guy was like, oh, you must be connected to so-and-so. So anyway, we finally get that worked out. And he said, man, I was hoping he'd take my mom out on a date. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's a good guy, you know, and I'm sure he'd, he'd take care of her. And he said, well, yeah, and I want to get in on that sweet narrative. And, uh, man, I, I mean, truly, in an instant, to go from friendly to hatred, <laughs> it's probably never been so quick. And I told him, like, I think it's time for you to go. Basically, I yeah. just I need you off my property. Yeah. And so he, here's what I mean by that. I think you're right that there's a tremendous amount of frustration from sons and grandsons who don't have uh, a father who is who is readily available to hand on the good stuff. Right. Yeah. But I also and let, think and let me be let me be clear. I don't just mean financial. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But to use it as a metaphor, I do think there's a whole bunch of people in our situation who basically want to get in on the inheritance as a check writing. Mm-hmm. Hey, come put my name on the bank account. Come uh, let me have power of attorney. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to take it and run with it. Yeah. They want to be the, the prodigal son. Yeah. That, they, right. Right. They want the inheritance now. Right. And so I think one of the specific ways that guys in their position should be humble is to say, I need to study my father, I need to study my grandfather, whoever this person is, and I need to make it easy for him to give me the things that I know I need going into the future. And that's where that humility stuff comes in, right? Um, That's where you end up having to take a long road, where you have to eat a lot of crow, where you have to keep putting up with frustration as you feel your own years moving uh, along. But you have to say, look, clearly this generation isn't super well prepared to do this. As I recognize that, I need to use my resources to strategize. How do I help them do this well? Uh, as someone who's thinking about it, that, you know, basically that isn't saying, hey, I'm here. Can I get in on the inheritance? Right. Yeah, I think about, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about the Proverbs, um, about fathers and sons, especially Proverbs 19, 25. Uh, he that, he that wasteth, wasteth his father and chaseth away his mother is mm-hmm. a son that causeth, causeth shame bringeth reproach and um proverbs 10 1 a wise son makes a glad father but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mind and so and i think it's just a description of what you're talking about is the the foolish son who wants to to just have everything and have it now and take away uh the the inheritance and the power of attorney now he's in charge he's the the foolish son going to basically bring shame and reproach on his father and mother um, I know I've done this a ton of times, and I can't remember if you've told me if you have or haven't. But have you read Jaber Crow? Yeah, that was uh, I, that may have been the first Wendell Berry I ever read. Yeah. So, listener, if you haven't read Jaber Crow, you really have to. You have to, and even if you find it a difficult read to get started, you got to see it through. But Jaber Crow has one of the best versions of this character we're talking about that Ben's oh, reading my Proverbs from. Oh my goodness! That you're ever yeah. going to see, and yeah. it, it it will train your heart to think about being that kind of person the way your heart should think about being that kind of person. Yeah. Ugh. I, the, it's been a good, probably 10 years since I read that, I think. And there's one scene that just vividly sticks out to me is when Jaber, he's, he's older, he goes to the next town to dance with the girl uh, on a kind of regular basis. And he runs into the character you're talking about there with a woman who's not his wife. And he just kind of winks slyly at Jaber because he recognizes him. 
Yeah. And that that moment just instilled a hatred in me for this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and Jaber responds to it the way he should. Um he sells the car, you know. Um mm. and, and and at the end when I mean I, I can't say this on the podcast because it'd be unchristian of me, but when that guy cuts the stand of timber, uh I, I just remember putting the book down and like getting up and walking around. <laughs> Couple of, couple of cuss words in the mind. Oh my gosh! You know, it it never it didn't happen, but versions of it are constantly happening. Yeah, and uh, gosh, I mean, it still makes my stomach. It just makes it heavy uh, when I think about it. So anyway, listener, go get Jaber Crow. Uh, that was a, you know, that that sounds like a negative uh, experience for the book, but it will it will train your affections. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's it's not a it's not a happy book exactly, but uh, it's true. Yeah, yeah. There's um, a lot to learn that could help you be happy. Yeah, exactly. So, Ben, you you name three names, and I actually think they are pretty good paradigms for what we're talking about. Would you be interested in just going? Hey, let's talk about Al Mohler. Let's talk about John MacArthur. Let's talk about Doug Wilson. Yeah, we can do that, and I I think it'll be good. Not because I want to um you know destroy the reputation or names of these men who I consider, well, maybe not Al Mohler, but who I consider <laughs> even to this day, uh, pretty solid guys. But um, what, what I think they can help with is giving kind of a concrete example of what we're talking about in the, the institutional evangelical, because it's really easy to see this in the world of, you know, like taking care of your parents, yeah. um, but it might not be so clear when you're talking about um, in the, the evangelical world. And one thing I, I think of is just, Guys who um, they saw the moment, like Al Mohler is an example of this. He saw the moment when the issue was um, female pastors. And he was a part of that, you know, the conservative resurgence movement. He was pretty young back then. Um, in fact, I think he was about my age when he took yeah. over Southern. Wasn't he 35? Something like that, yeah. Something like that, yeah. Crazy. Um, but um, he, saw, he saw the moment and responded to it in an effective way way um where he along with you know even better men than him adrian rogers and Paige patterson um saw what was happening and and responded to it in a way to defend the the inspiration of scripture and to defend its clarity on a lot of these issues but then now as they've gotten older um and al Mohler is a great example of this as the still head of southern seminary either in ignorance or um, I don't, I don't know that he knew it was happening, but it, it's hard for me to believe that he didn't, but Southern seminary kind of became full of these sort of, um, critical race woke quote unquote guys who kind of have weaseled their, their way into the seminary. And there was for a long time, just kind of silence from Almo. Is that a fair description? You think? Yeah, man, I do. Um, so th- these are all men that I have studied closely and paid attention to. Now, I'm very much an outsider. I know, uh, I mean, I've talked to Dr. Moeller on a podcast and interviewed him before. Um, I've talked to Doug multiple times in person. None of them know me well. Um, yeah. But, I, I, you know, I've paid attention to these guys. And I think, I think Al is the epitome of the, of the guy who is a singular figure who really accomplished some amazing stuff. Uh, this is why I'm like the last man off Al Mulder Island, because that guy actually <laughs> suffered 
yeah. for conservative theology. And that buys a lot of credibility in my eyes. Yeah, yeah. But let me tell you, and listener Ben probably knows this, but this may be news to you. Let me tell you who uh, Al Mulder's protégés are. Adam Greenway, Danny Aiken, Russell Moore. <laughs> I knew that last one. I didn't know the other two. Yeah, they all served as either provost or other high-level positions within his administration at Southern. Now, here's where I feel like Dr. Moeller is a tragic figure. There's one other, Jason Allen at Midwest. And Jason is, uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, really a positive, complete clone of Dr. Moeller. So I have some hope for him as a kind of a protege. But Dr. Moeller has seen the the people who should be his his inheritors turn on him in the most vicious ways. Yeah, the the betrayal has come from within within his own house. Yeah, and so what I think again, complete outsider. But what it looks like to me with Doctor Moeller is this guy is a singular figure, who, as you said, really did accomplish some really good stuff. But where things have gone sideways is that he did not have a vision for launching the next generation and basically thought by having young men in his proximity, that mm. process would take care of itself. That's interesting. And so if I could go back and reprogram Dr. Moeller, I would say, Dr. Moeller, you've got to apply this incredible intellect and this cultural analysis mind that God has given you to the project of handing off to a fit successor yeah. what uh, what you need to hand off at the end of your days, rather than assuming it's going to take care of itself the same way that every fight you've given yourself to has. No, that's a really good point. Well, and, and so here, here's the other thing with Keith, uh, Jason Keith Allen. Uh, Dr. Allen really looks like he has studied Dr. Moeller the way Ron DeSantis studied Trump and like copied his mannerisms <laughs> and everything. Yeah. But the rumor I have been told is that Jason Allen wanted to apply for the Midwestern job. Moeller told him no because he didn't think he was ready. And uh, Jason went ahead and did it anyway. And that that may have saved Jason uh, as a protege because the, 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 the rumor among Southern Baptists who care about these things is that Greenway and Aiken and Moore, for whatever their own internal character issues were, they basically broke with Moeller emotionally and relationally because he's exhausting to work for and he's super controlling. And once the emotional and the relational break took place, it was very easy for a theological break to follow. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. And so Alan, by bucking him at the right, you know, if this is the if this narrative has any if this narrative has any merit, it means that Moeller's failure to have a launch strategy is actually what hurt his protégés in a lot of ways. Exactly. Yep. And and the one protégé he has left, who everybody has some hope for, is the guy who got out on his own two feet earlier than Moeller wanted him to. Hmm. So, like, hmm. if, if I could reprogram Dr. Moeller again, I'll quit talking here in a minute, Ben, but yeah. I would go back and say, Dr. Moeller, you've got to give them some leash You've got to spool out some thread where they can kind of go it on their own a bit. Give them a chance to fall on their face. Use your resources to help, uh, you know, help either stop them from falling or if they do fall, teach them how to get up again. Don't treat them like a marionette. See, to me, 
that almost sounds like his proteges are a feature, not a bug. Well, yeah, yeah, that that's a very credit. Again, if any of this has credibility, that's a very credible read. Um, but the the point being, he has now later in life, like he still at the Southern Baptist Convention, still gave a very good uh, speech against the idea of ordaining women pastors. Like it, it was a it was a solid. It was like classic Al Mohler. Yep. Um, but ha- has not been at the at the on the wall in the same way for the um the other issues that have come along the more modern more recent issues so if our listeners don't know dr moeller rose to stand against the push for female pastors that was largely spearheaded by adam greenway one of his former proteges yeah and so when i say he has been betrayed like i heard years ago that russell moore was actively trying to push moeller out as an influence Danny Aiken wants to sub, uh, supplant him as the most influential seminary president head. And obviously Adam Greenway wanted to break with his theology. I mean, it really does read like a whole bunch of daddy issues yeah. being played out through Southern Baptist institutions. <laughs> Yikes. But this is, you know, to what we were talking about earlier, this is one of those times with Moeller on that issue of egalitarianism. This is where grandpa still has a fastball. Right. And yep. man, get him up there to throw it. Yeah, I think I think one of the most tragic things about watching that was just seeing um, how old Al Mohler was. Like he he was definitely slower than you would expect out. Like in my mind, than I imagined Al Mohler being. He yeah. was, you know, he's he's getting old, which is you know that's, that happens. It's not like a criticism, but um, it's like, all right, where's the guy you trained up? Yeah, and he doesn't exist. Yeah, like who's the, the armor bearer coming beside yeah. you? And the. Uh, the inheritance of, say, Southern Seminary, you know, where where does that go? Mm-hmm. Yep. There and that's that's a failure again on this front because Matt Hall was one of the guys that everybody thought may be a successor. Right. Matt went woke, yeah. and this is another misstep with Doctor Moeller. Uh, if you you know if it's Curtis Woods or it's Al Moeller, excuse me, or it's uh, Matt Hall, whoever it is, I think it just happened to David Prince. When Dr. Moeller recognizes there's a failure in um, your performance, you know, particularly a significant one like your doctrine and your ethics, he will get you. It is kind of like a family crime family. He'll get you out of. But it'll never be done the way it needs to be. Where the public can you say he'll get you out of the you cut out. Gotcha. So it is like a crime family. Dr. Moeller will get you out of the family, but it won't happen the way it needs to for men to grow and for uh, other men to see and learn. So Matt Hall, who's publicly said he'd always be a racist, according to sort of a critical race theory idea publicly, was never made to say I was wrong. But he's shuffled off to Baylor. Same deal with Curtis Woods. Same deal with David Prince. There's never an owning of the error, right? Like you rebuke a fool so that the wise will learn. Or so, that the, um, so that the simple will be instructed. Right, right. So there's never a chance for the simple to grow wise because you're not doing the public rebuking that a public error requires. Yeah, and what all that that does is it perpetuates the error in your institution because yes. you haven't rejected the error. You've just you know hidden the man. 
And you know, you're well aware of this, but the Southern Baptist Convention with its 11th commandment has a, has a bit of an issue with this kind of thing where it, absolutely you, you can't openly speak against uh, fellow Southern Baptists. Well, and see, that is, that's a perfect boomer yeah. illustration because yeah. that was a good principle at a particular time in history. Yeah. Because what they said is don't criticize another conservative. But conservative no longer can be simplistically defined as affirms that the Bible is inerrant. It involves ethical issues like critical race theory, uh, LGBTQ plus issues. Yeah. So applying yeah. it to Matt Hall is not the same as applying it to Paige Patterson. Right. Exactly. And he didn't learn to adjust. And this is a great um, probably spot to to pause to talk to the sons again, which is no enemies to the right is a very useful tool. I, I think it's a good one, and I think it ought to be used. However, if you let it, it can become this same exact thing. When when the fight's over and you're still hanging on to it, and guys within your own camp are you know doing bad things and maybe are still saying they're right wing in this you know drawing the same old battle lines, but the new battle lines have been been drawn without anybody telling you, then no enemies to the right becomes a liability, and actually yeah. it will hurt you. And th- this is a great example of how that can happen. And so this is something to think about when you're criticizing your fathers for having the 11th commandment. Consider that maybe that, you know, um, was it Chesterton that said you never remove a fence without knowing why it was there in the first place? Yeah, that's so good, Ben. Absolutely. So maybe when you're criticizing the 11th commandment, consider why did they have this? What was this doing before you get rid of it? Yep. Well, and, and to that point, too. Um, I, I want to to say that internal policing is a good thing. So, like, mm-hmm. I don't have enemy. I don't have any enemies to my right in public. Right. Exactly. But, I mean, Ben and I are in some groups where we will straight up throw down in private, and <laughs> yeah. to the degree that I'm like, if something doesn't change here, one of us is going to go public. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like. I will have an enemy to my left and I will identify you as that enemy <laughs> if something doesn't happen. Right. Right. And so it's still, it's still no enemies to the right. You're just not there anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, I do think that that's one thing young men should do. It's the mm-hmm. profitable bullying that we've talked about. Yeah. Y- you should fight over important things, but do all that you can to fight internally and behind closed doors before you make the decision to go, uh, throw some guy to the wolves as a lefty, you know? Yeah. So, uh, anything more on Al Mohler? No, I think that, that about sums it up. Well, Dr. MacArthur is the next one in, in my mind. And, uh, yeah, why don't you paradigm, lead off on this one? Oh yeah, go for it. No, I said, why don't you lead off on this one? Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. The paradigm for me on this one is a, a singular figure who is basically good at one thing. And eventually you can build uh, an apparatus around it. So like um, it's easy for me to think of uh, agricultural examples of this. But if you know a, a guy who is just really great at managing his livestock genetics, he, 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 can, uh, he can produce animals that grow and reproduce well. He can be an expert at that. And anybody who's got any sense around him can say, I can build sort of a support structure around him where these things benefit me and other people too, right? So you have, uh, you can sell, uh, the if, if it's a beef farm that's close at hand for me, 
obviously you can sell the beef. You can also sell access to the bull as a stud. You can sell lots of different products that are connected to that. But basically, you know, the guy at the heart of it is good at this one thing and he gets up every day and he does that one thing and he's incredibly good at it. And that's what I think uh, is the challenge facing grace to you is that Dr. MacArthur is an incredible expository preacher. And the good that has come out of Grace Community Church has been him seeing a text, you know, basically saying, I have to honor the text. Yeah. But it's really hard to replace Michael Jordan, you know? Right. Uh, particularly if, you know, the closest thing you have to Michael Jordan is a really good baseball player. <laughs> and uh, I think that's the situation Grace Community's in. Yeah. Yeah. And- He's not R.C. Sproul, right? R.C. Sproul was a generalist. He, I mean, the breadth, and now Dr. MacArthur is very broad in his understanding, but it all flows from basically preparing to expedite, to preparing to preach an expository sermon. Uh, if, if, if Dr. Sproul had never preached, he would still be reading the, uh, the pre-Socratic philosophers, right? Right, right. Um, and I think, and we talked about this with Muller, another, and I think this is going to be a common theme throughout all the guys we talk about, is the the no succession plan. And, you know, obviously we're not on the inside of Grace Community Church, so we don't know what the plan is there. But from afar, I don't see the successor. Well, I mean, so I'm, I'm probably going to take a little uh, sort of a, an adjacent read there. I think I know who the successor will be. Or sorry, I think I know who the successor should be. But okay. the only way it's going to work is if they don't expect him to be Dr. MacArthur. Gotcha. Uh, there's a guy there named Mike Riccardi. Oh, uh, I know that name. I know that name. Yeah. My, everything I've seen out of Mike's been phenomenal. He is a really good preacher. Um, he's just not John MacArthur. Yeah. And so if, if they can figure out how to hand him the reins without fro- freighting him with all these expectations, he'd be, I think they have something there, but I don't know if they'll identify him as such. And I don't know if they've got a game plan to say, it's basically going to be the post MacArthur plan is going to be somebody who's not John MacArthur. Yeah. I remember, I think it was a Q and a that John MacArthur was doing Phil Johnson at some point. Um, and I think Phil asked him the question. It was something like this, but about if he was ever going to retire. And as far as I understood it then, and I think this is still true today, but if it's wrong, you know, that's my fault. Um, he, he was basically like, no, I'm going to preach till I die. Mm-hmm. Which is which is a, I think a respectable thing, but in another way that is sort of the, to use the the term a, a boomer error because it's like you know I bet you could serve your church a whole lot better and I'm not saying that that day is today but I bet you could serve your whole your church a whole lot better if you gave yourself some time to sit back and let you know the successor take over and you just be there as the the consigliere the resource. That's absolutely right, Ben, because that's the low-key boomer motif that nobody talks about. Um, We all kind of think about um, the guy who's like, I'm just going to spend all that would be my kid's inheritance on vacation homes and an RV. But there is very much a boomer model that says, like, I've spent my whole life chopping wood. And when you find me dead, it's going to be with an axe in my hand, still chopping wood. That that is just as present as the other model, and neither one of them is a great model for handing off what you've built. 
another way to think about this too um, is the parallel in you know the the real life world is the the um, I, I I don't like keeping using the word boomer because people are going to get upset about that. Although it's a very good shorthand for what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, it's just the current generation that's on that cusp, yeah, right? At yeah. some point, it will be millennials and zoomers. Right. And the boomer boomer is a mindset more than a yeah. more than an age group. Um, yeah, but that's, fair. It, the, that's fair. The the boomer grandparent who is nowhere for you know babysitting, um, wanting to take the kid for a you know a weekend or whatever, just has nothing to do with the the raising up of the next generation. I think that's the parallel that we're talking about. Is um, and in in this case, it might be say the pastor who goes and retires and then just departs and has nothing to do with the church anymore. I get that impulse because on the one hand, you don't want the the congregation to be judging the previous, um, judging the new pastor by all of your uh, reputation. But on the other hand, what a resource to have, mm-hmm. you know, the guy who has known this congregation for 40 some years there to help you as you settle in. Okay. Just, just like having the parent who knows all the tricks to yeah. help you raise this newborn you've got. So dude, gosh, if you'll forgive me, I've got, a lot of thoughts on this one. So Go for it. As a pastor, I have sat in seminars about like how do you hand your church off and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And the dominant model is uh, for them to say you as the pastor need to leave the church so that your continuing influence doesn't yeah. crowd the new guy. And I think it's crazy. Yeah. I think if um if you and your elders identify a successor, you being there to do just what you said, Ben, but also like to to tamp down the people who are going to not like him because he's not you, right? Yeah. So they come to you and say, can, can you believe he did that? And you can authentically say, well, that probably isn't how I'd done it, but it was yeah. faithful. And I'm going to support him and see what God does with it. And, you know, if it goes sideways, I'll be here to help him figure out what we need to do better next time. Yeah. What what better testimony to a man's ministry than the previous pastor sitting under it? Yes, absolutely. Go, go on. Well, and just think about what credibility that lends to the yep. guy up there. You look over. Can you imagine? I mean, I would be intimidated. I really do think. I don't think I'm. <laughs> Particularly, I think there's a reason that that advice exists for them to yeah. leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if 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 I were supposed to preach and Dr. MacArthur were in the audience, I would feel very tempted to be like, <laughs> preach. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But what this... weight would it carry if the guy who's a member of the church, Dr. MacArthur, is taking notes on what you're saying, or at some point says, "Ooh, that's a great insight." Yeah. Right. Gives you an amen during the during the service. Yes, yes. Yeah, I remember when I was in college, I was a teacher's assistant in the Bible department, and my Hebrew professor, who was also the Old Testament professor at the college, was a very, very smart man, very intelligent, like a sinking computer when yeah. it came when it came to biblical knowledge. And one time, as a, I'm a TA, and you know, I've expressed interest in ministry, and I have a pretty good theological foundation at this point. He asks me if I want to teach one of the classes and I jumped on it. I was like, yes, that would be fantastic. So he gives me the book of judges. It's the intro old Testament class. He gives me the book of judges 
So I have to talk about, you know, all of the the rebellions. And he tells me that he explicitly wants me to bring up their idol worship and the the Asherah that they were worshiping, which, you know, we've been talking about that. And so he gives me a couple of things that he explicitly wants me to talk about because it'll be, you know, stuff that's going to be important for the class. The night of the class, I show up assuming that he's not going to be there, like he's going to take the night off. Oh, yeah. No, he sits in the front row. Oh, with a notepad and pen and takes like meticulous notes while I'm teaching. It was wow. the most intimidating thing. I was so like that that was not my best uh lecture that I've ever given because I was so nervous. Like this was the first time I'd ever done anything like this besides like teach Sunday school once or twice. It was terrifying. So I I totally get the uh the impulse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, practically it actually works out like it does with a college football team. Like if, if you've got a Bobby Bowden or I'm a University of Tennessee fan, a Phil Fulmer, who's kind of the guy who's been there. The rule of thumb is you don't want to be the the guy who replaces the guy. You want to be the guy who replaces the guy who replaced the guy. <laughs> yeah, you want to be third, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. And that, that tends to be how it goes at these churches. And it, it just is a crying shame. It, it's a crying shame that we can't identify a successor well. And then, and then lend the credibility of the predecessor to the successor. I think we ought to be able to do this. Yeah. Do you think it's, um, like what do you think the, the main cause of that is? Do you think it's just we haven't like been taught to do this? Do you think it's selfishness of the guy who wants to you know, stay there as long as he can, um, yeah. doesn't want to give up? Like what, what's the impulse here that, that is keeping us from doing that well? And you know, it's not a new impulse because all you have to do is look at the Old Testament. You have you know, Josiah the king yeah yeah all point. of these renewals and then the next guys you know crap um yeah. you've got david and then you've got absalom or even solomon to an extent um you've got samuel and then you've got his kids you've got uh eli and his kids like um th- how many examples of this do we have there's so sure. many of them uh yep. so it's certainly not a new problem but I don't well, think with all it those, has there's to be like a, a component of wickedness, right? Right. And what we're talking about, Lord willing, would not involve explicit sin. It would just yeah. be two godly men who something went wrong. Yeah. So here's what I've thought, Ben. Have you ever, and I mean, I, this is rhetorical. I know the answer is yes. Have you ever met a guy who's your buddy at work or whatever? He finds out you're a Christian and you have similar doctrinal perspectives and convictions. And he says, you've got to come hear my preacher preach. You're going to love him. He's the best preacher ever. And you go listen to the guy preach, and you're like, ah, that, that was fine. But I don't know why you're so, you know, I mean, you wouldn't say <laughs> yeah, that to yeah, him. You're, but not, like, you're so into it. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what I think. I think that's a really great thing because it's wonderful when Christians love their pastor mm-hmm. and like learn to love his preaching and, you know, really are self-consciously delighted by how he serves them. And it's okay if you who aren't part of his congregation don't have that. Yeah. So I think that a lot of that's what's going on there. Um, this is the healthy version. The healthy version is, man, I just love to hear Dr. MacArthur preach. I mean, I'm that guy. I still listen to Dr. MacArthur preach on Sunday mornings when I'm getting ready to go to church. Yeah. Um, Adrian Rogers was this way for me. Like, there's Ugh. so much of Adrian that he would dislike about my theology. But I know. I know. I love that man. <laughs> yeah, I love to hear him preach. Yeah. Um, and so I think if you've sat under that that long, 
it's just hard for you to to parse out that my objection isn't to what this guy's doing or saying or preaching. I am just fit to the mold of my pre- of his predecessor because I've been under his preaching for so long. Um, the the toxic version of this is closely related. Very often, our churches are cults of personality in a way that we don't want to admit. And that's the toxic version of the same thing, that if you don't have the rock star there, well, the concert can't go on. Right. If if you'll let me use one more sports metaphor, I think this is... <laughs> go for it. This is what, if I could get into Grace Community Church's... Um, it, it's in the NBA. If, you know, if at some point... Wilt Chamberlain was seen as the greatest player, most effective basketball player. And then this kind of is true over the eras. So as Wilt Chamberlain and after Wilt Chamberlain, everybody thought basketball has to be designed around a uh, a post player, a dominant post player. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually a guy named Michael Jordan shows up and it turns out the greatest basketball player ever is going to be uh, a two guard who plays on the perimeter. And it just took people a long time to figure that out. <laughs> you think? But you then, think you think Jordan's better than Wilt Chamberlain? Oh yeah, for sure, man. I, I really legitimately think Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time. He may not. All right. What about I mean, Larry Bird? Oh, dude, I love Larry Bird. I think Larry Bird would tell you Jordan was the greatest player of all time. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, but then I love Larry Bird. Now we're getting off topic. <laughs> yeah. So Allen Iverson comes along. Chris Webber. It's this wasted generation. No successor to Jordan comes along, and. uh Eventually, LeBron James shows up and he hits a box. But I actually would tell you, it's not LeBron who is the successor, is the next greatest player. Um, I think some of our listeners may want to beat me up over this, but it was actually Steph Curry. <laughs> and so I, th- I think you're right that some of our listeners will want to beat you up for that. I yeah, so, do not even follow basketball at this point, so I have no idea what we're talking about. Sure. LeBron's incredible. Uh, All time athlete. But he's just basically an idiot, and um, he has some constitutional that have shortcutted the end of his career. So, or shortcutted it, short-circuited the end of his career. Wilt Chamberlain, they changed the rules of the game for Wilt Chamberlain. They, you know, the whole game of basketball changed for Michael Jordan. For Michael Jordan. That didn't happen with LeBron. LeBron uh, was sort of, you know, sort of playing in the, in the shadow of Jordan. They changed the rules again when Steph Curry came along. <laughs> And so what I'm hoping that Grace Community will do is not look for the next Michael Jordan. I hope they'll look and say, we would be very well served by Steph Curry. Yeah. How do we change the rule? Yeah. 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 No, that that makes a lot of sense. And that that requires, as we were talking about, that requires a kind of, um, in the suns, a kind of humility to be like, you know what, what what we had, we're not going to have again, but we need to... uh, need to move forward with something else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that brings us to Doug Wilson. And uh, yeah. Do you want to set up why that he's on the list? Yeah, I guess um, it's difficult really, because it's still a, sort of an ongoing thing. Um, and we've talked about it in the past on the, the goddess frustrating alliances thing. And I, I think it's less Doug Wilson as a person, although I'm, he's a part of what I'm talking about. But it's more of just Moscow as a movement that has created other movements. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, there has been a 
a sort of unwillingness to um, let other people into their territory, I suppose. Um, and to the point where when other groups who are like more, more right wing, I suppose, come along, Moscow immediately um, uh, hardens toward them. closes rank. Yeah, closes rank. Yeah, that's, that's exactly the, the term I was looking. They're really good at this when the attacks come from the left. You know, they they know how to do that because it's something that has happened to them a lot. But when they're you know when the people who were influenced by them, who learned it from watching them, started doing it also, and in in some ways started doing it better, mm-hmm. they didn't take very kindly to that. Yeah, and I I think we're seeing a lot of that playing out. Um, let me see if I can find real real quickly here something i said to you and um yeah so anybody who comes along from their right uh even if it's something that if the people in moscow had come up with the idea they would have like been okay with it it would have been fine Mm -hmm. if somebody comes along they have to be painted as extremist or unstable uh you know the the young guys who just need to to calm down um they're the and this is happening right now. Like as we speak with the George Gilder book that they're republishing, anybody who has even brought up minuscule like criticisms of the book, because from what I understand, I've not read the whole book, but I've read some portions of the early chapters and I I'm going to read the rest of the early chapters. What I understand though, is that the, the later portion of the book draws some really good conclusions about uh, patriarchy and masculinity, men and marriage. However, the the opening chapters, like the foundation that he builds to build the rest of his argument on, is completely upside down and backwards. It mm-hmm. presents this view of the brutish man who only does anything because he wants to get laid. Pardon my French. Uh, but, like, um, <laughs> do I need to rephrase that? <laughs> that just came out of nowhere. No, not at all. That's, <laughs> that's what Gilder says. Yeah. Like, and. It, it's basically Freud who says that sex energy yeah. motivates everything. Right. And, and for, for the young guys who are just like, you know, the, the, the silly, like um, all the, the Ken memes that are coming out right now because of the Barbie movie or the, the white boy summer stuff, which is a lot of fun. Like these guys are excited about being guys. Mm-hmm. They want to be the most strong, virtuous, capable guys they can be. They're sick of being sold video games and pornography and being lazy schlubs who live in their parents' basements. They've rejected all of that, and they're like, no, we will be better than this, and we will not be ruled by women. Now this book comes out, and they're like, Moscow, what the heck? Like This is telling us to be that we are by nature supposed to be ruled by women, and every part of our being and everything we do is because of women. And I, So I totally get why these young guys are like kind of lashing out at this. And it explains also why they're going to guys like Andrew Tate. Right. Um, right. It explains why they're, you know, well, none of them are listening to Jordan Peterson anymore because he went straight off the, the rails uh, if he wasn't already. Um, but it explains why they're going to these, you know, the manosphere guys. Because these guys are telling them, actually, yeah, being, being a man is good. And um, not giving your strength to women is good. And you can build great things. And yeah, that will draw, you know, female attention to you, which you want. Like 
That's a good thing. But you're not doing all of this stuff just to be just because your body and whole makeup and being is ordered towards pleasing women. Like that, that's the opposite of what scripture teaches. And so, you know, these guys are very frustrated. And so they, mm-hmm. they, they come at Moscow and instead of, you know, the, uh, the Toby Sumters or um, even Doug Wilson has said some things about it. Like instead of being like, yeah, the beginning of this book is not great, but the conclusions he draws are really great. And we, that's why we republished it. That, that's not the, the tack they've taken. It's instead, oh, you silly boys with your short pants and your, you know, your, your shrieks and your freakouts. And it, it accomplishes nothing. It makes the ge- next generation despise you um, mm-hmm. when they don't want to despise you. They want to look up right. to you and have right. for a very long time looked up to you. Right. And now they're, they're like, like you said, that this is coming off of what you have taught them. Yeah. Yeah. They, they learned it from watching you like the old uh, drug PSA says. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I, yeah. a, it's, it's a little mind boggling to me, <laughs> yeah. which I'm I'm thankful now. You know, being in my mid thirties, I'm not the the young twenty year old who's um, can 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 be hit with that criticism because some of these guys I feel like are not too much older than I am, um, and so I can be like, yeah, you know why they're doing this, and when they kind of try to come at me with the, well, you're just a young buck, I'm like, well, no, I'm kind of in my middle age, so mm-hmm. you know, I've I've been I've been here for a for a while, I'm not some cage stagey kid. And so yeah. it's been it's been mind boggling to me to, to watch this happening. It's like these are the guys that you should be like um, trying to trying to, like I said, you know, give them the sword and point them in the right direction. These are those guys. And instead, you're uh, just kicking dirt in their face. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it. So that, well, that's why that's why Doug Wilson and Moscow is on this list, because I think they are doing one of the things we've talked about. And one of the reasons that maybe they need the keys taken away is because. They are, uh, they're driving the car, but it, you know, they're in the ditch right now. Yeah. I'm just as confounded about it as you are. This is so clearly the grandchildren that they wanted to produce mm-hmm. that the idea that you want to turn on them baffles me. They've done it. Yeah. They've done it in two different ways. Uh, there was this, everything is kinism. <laughs> right. Right. And 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 they I have read Doug say if you call someone a racist enough, they end up, you know, deciding, yep. well, I guess if everything's racism, it doesn't matter. And they actually move towards racism. Yep. And then they've done it on this guild or white boy summer stuff. <laughs> I don't understand it. Um well, I, I understand this. It's what we talked about with AD. They do not know how to be attacked from the right. Yeah. And so they just act like whatever's on the right. It, I mean, they just take the same strategy they would with the left. Yeah. Um, which ends up, you know, you, you're just attacking the people that you should be discipling basically. Yeah. You know, I have wondered too, there, there's definitely, maybe, maybe this is wrong. Cause I haven't, I haven't followed Moscow closely for a very long time. I've always, you know, when I first came into reformed theology, I thought Doug Wilson was the devil. And then sure. I, I kind of learned more about, what was going on and why people thought that. And I was like, okay, that's not, that's not really true. But, um, so I haven't followed, I haven't followed them closely enough to know if this has always been this way or if it's something more recent, but in my mind, it seems like something that's new. And, you know, with like the, the, the gaining influence they have had, I wonder if they have not gone a little mainstream and now need to worry about, you know, whether they're perceived as racist mm-hmm. or, or whether they're perceived as, 
you know, misogynists. I mean, for, for goodness sakes, they had Megan Basham on Man Rampant. <laughs> like, I, uh, the, the, I don't even know how to, to comment on that. It's so I'll love mind- for Megan, right? But yes, right. Mind, mind, mind-boggling to me that uh, they're they're platforming people who, well, I don't know that Moscow would ever have been there, but you know, go home and take care of your family. Like <laughs> all of the stuff that Doug Wilson has taught about family and marriage and households, um, he seems to now be going backward on those things. Yeah, uh, I, I know that you. Don't agree with me about this stuff 100, percent which is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I think you've been wrong before. A, but, right, right. Um, and I may come around. I, I do think there's an appropriate vocational role for Megan, but I get exactly what you're saying about like the name of the series, man, and what <laughs> you said a thousand times, right? Like yeah. it's just very inconsistent with your own spiel. Yeah, we're not we're not going to send the ladies to war, except ideologically. Right, right, right. Uh, well. <laughs> And and th- so, and now and now and and here's why I bring that up. Now any young guy who takes you know my point of view about this is going to be painted by Moscow as a crazy misogynist hyper patriarch because he and, thinks and the appropriate response would be let me explain to you how we think it's different, yeah. right? Or, yeah, give give some kind of defense yeah. of it. Give an account. Uh, I don't. I don't or, know that there or, is. One, why but. do we think it's okay for Gilder to say this? Or right. we talked about this off air. I like Dabney the same way Doug Wilson likes Dabney. They're the parts of Dabney that I would not endorse are the same ones that Doug Wilson wouldn't endorse. When Doug Wilson talks about Dabney, he says, "Ah, he's a product of his time. We're taking what we can from it, and we'll leave off what we wouldn't do the same." Yeah, that is exactly how they should have handled the Gilder stuff. But it was like, "Oh, you silly little boys, uh, come talk to us when you get on our level." Yeah. Uh, It'd be a completely different response. You know, if they had done that with this book, if they had come out and been like, yeah, we're republishing this, this Gilder book. He draws a lot of great conclusions. There's some really fantastic stuff in here. However, at the beginning of the book, some of the things he says are are not right, um, but it's still worth your time to read. If he had, if they had done that, there would not have been a single complaint. Eminently reasonable. That's exactly right. And and again, they have this in their toolbox. Yeah. They do this yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They, they've published stuff in the past that they would, you know, say the same thing about. Like, I'm, I mean, look, look at the, all the grief they've given Stephen Wolf. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> like they, they published his book, but they made it very clear. Well, we're not racist like him. Well, maybe you could say the same thing about Gilder and his upside down um, anthropology too, you know, mm-hmm. but one of those is a much less fashionable sin than the other. So, yeah. So with them now, now I'm just now I'm just ranting. <laughs> no, I get it, I get it, because it's it's just inexplicable. You're like, man, this one's obvious. That there's yeah. there's no real challenge here. You should just see this. My suspicion with them is that they have tried to train too many inheritors. That they have just taken a shotgun approach. Yeah, and assumed anybody in the family is a worthy inheritor, and that's just yeah. not the case. Yeah. Um, I mean, what do you I, mean I'm by that? Sp- I'll just, I'll be real specific about it. I don't think Toby Sumter's doing him any favors. Toby seems to have thought that when you're attacked by godless people, you don't apologize and has applied that to every criticism that comes his way. Yeah. He, he doesn't know how to take publicly healthy 
correction. So on the Baptist training stuff, yeah, he, he beclowned himself because he yeah. gave no less than three different explanations why it was okay. He brought it up out of the blue the other day. Uh, again, when, you know, there's no reason to do that. Um, one of his theories depended upon James White and Tom Askell being uncareful listeners. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just preposterous. Uh, and here, you know, he's, he's, he's turning longhouse and, um, stuff like that. He's trying to own that when, uh, you know, try to like disarm the criticism by using it himself. Yeah, but it comes off like uh, I mean, if, if you'll think about my tradition, it 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 comes off like JD Greer, who's almost fifty, dressing in skinny jeans <laughs> with the Britney Spears mic. Yes, that that's what it looks like with Toby. Yeah, and so it's this it's this repetition of the Big Eva era uh, error that how we can old, never. How old is how old is Toby? He's surely not Boomer age. No, he's not. So here, okay, all right. So I'm going to go back to sports analogies. Okay. All right. I think the deal with Toby is that he is like the son who is involved in the business and doesn't realize he's lived in dad's shade. Um, the, yeah. the, fr- the phrasing is born on third base and thought he hit a triple. Yeah, I see. And so I think Toby has really tried to study and model and learn from Doug in a way that I commend. I think Toby brings a lot of strength to the table. But he's 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 missed something along the way that's turned him into a simplistic copycat, yeah. Rather than a fit inheritor of Doug, yeah. It's and a, it's, I, I literally hope he'll grow out of it because we need we need somebody to kind of pick that up and run with it. Yeah, it's it's like um, what we were saying on the the frustrating alliances episode. They heard there was a serrated edge, but they never learned how to use it. <laughs> Yeah, or they use it on everybody. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, so again, I, I mean, I'm frustrated with Toby. I think Toby, I, I really do kind of feel like a frustration about this because I took my church people to Fight Left Feast conferences. I still would take a bullet for Chocolate Knox. I like Gabe a lot. There's a ton of people at Canon that I've interacted with that I really like. But Toby has cost them tremendously because he won't go out and develop a broader tool set. Yeah. No, I think and he's the he's the church true. inheritor, you know. Yeah. And I actually honestly think if on the Baptist training stuff, I could be completely wrong on this, but I think there'd have been a better response if some of the people who were clearer headed didn't feel like they had to defer to Toby because he was a pastor. Mm. That's a suspicion. I have, you know, there's every chance that I'm wrong on that. But yeah. on this one, I think part of the succession plan is saying we actually have to know who is a fit inheritor and when they are ready to inherit. Yeah. Um, so the way I have thought about this is that it's just, you know, Doug is such a singular figure because his breadth of knowledge is so broad and kind of unparalleled, right? He is a generalist in the most uh, informed possible way. And we just don't know a lot of people like that. So yeah. you have this, version of him that's a churchman and we need a churchman to inherit Doug's movement. You also have this version of Doug that's an educator and we need an educator to inherit Doug. I don't think you're going to find one person. Um, right. You're going to, you're going to have, and I think this is true a lot of times when you have kind of these larger than life figures um, retire or die or whatever. Uh, oftentimes they are replaced by a bunch of people. 
Yes. And that can work. Yeah. Um, so I think Ben Merkel at New St. Andrews is really, well, we've got a lot of good hope in Ben Merkel. I need Toby to catch up. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Yeah, that that's a good a, a good summary of why uh, Doug, or at least Moscow, is on is on this list of concrete examples of what we're talking about. In in the same way that in real life, well, this is all, but in the same way in family life, there you come. There comes a time where you need to sit down and have the conversation with your grandfather or whoever. At some point, we're going to have to have the, the conversation with these institutions, and I think in some cases that point has already passed. Um, and in other in others, we we need to have it soon. Yeah. The or the you know the worst case scenario is these great institutions fall apart and disappear. Yeah, and that's the catastrophe because because of this. Yeah, it's like you were saying with uh, a a parent when when the boomer generation dies, the loss of the wealth of knowledge. The same thing's going to happen when these when these institutions fall. Is you're going to lose. Not just a wealth of knowledge, but a wealth of in- infrastructure too. Yep, yep. I mean, you know, decades of time spent. Um, so, Ben, I guess my final thought on this kind of goes back to the AD Robles episode. So, a listener who loves our podcast and who's in my personal life um, came to me and said, "Hey, I really enjoyed that episode, but you spent that episode telling these guys, we're um, talking about these guys saying, look, you should have laughed this off. You know, you had a bad take. You should have handled it differently.'" And I kept waiting for one of y'all to be like, hey, this is where it happened for me. And here's how I handled it. Right. And I think with with Moscow in particular, the inability to be criticized from the right is what has hung them up. Mm-hmm. And so I do want to offer a version of that uh, in my own life to be able to tell people like this can be a really great thing. Um, if you met me in the early 2000s, into the 2010s, I basically took a gospel coalition approach to LGBTQ plus issues. I treated it like it was a special sin. I thought it really was noble of them to uh, try to live, uh, I say them, those who experience same-sex attraction to try to live celibate. Uh, You know, Wesley Hill, now fairly quickly with Wesley Hill, I realized his spiritual friendship project wasn't what he first sold it as. But initially I was like, okay, I'm going to hear Wesley Hill. So um, I was not on a good path. Uh, and I thought I was right. Well, my buddy Jared Moore was thinking more clearly about this. And he was regularly telling me that to desire sin is sin. That a desire for something wicked isn't supposed to be treated uh, as a special um, holy calling at least, you know, we wouldn't do that with any other sin. So like the guy who's like, I'm I'm serving the kingdom uh, by being celibate, L- love me for it, celebrate me for it. We would never let him take that position if he was a racist. Yeah. And so Jared just kept plugging away at me and we kept arguing about it and we kept arguing about it. And eventually, dadgummit, he had the unfair advantage of being right. Mm-hmm. And so it took me a while. It took me a couple of years. Um but I was criticized for my right. I pushed back against it. The The brother stayed faithful. He served me well by doing that. And so what I have tried to do as often as I possibly can at this point is try to give him credit for that. When I, you know, like I'm doing now, or if I'm on Twitter and I, and I run into somebody who sounds like, me, I'll say, 
Hey, brother, I remember being exactly. My friend Jared loved me enough to push on this, and this was the argument he made that swung me. And I would like to see some of that coming out of Moscow. I wish they could say, you know what, these young punks um, are kind of bulls in China shops, but they've got a good point. Yeah. To the Gilder book to account for what they're objecting to. And we're thankful that they care enough about being back on this. Hold on, hold on. The the thing you just said about, you ended the sentence with the Gilder book. I need you to say that again because it sounded like it was really good, but the whole first half of the sentence was cut out. Okay. So this is what I wish, a version of this is what I wish Moscow would do with the Gilder book. They should say, man, we should probably account for this objection in our introduction. We should probably add that. And we should also probably say, just in a general way, the kind of the same way we've we've talked about these rowdy guys. Hey, y'all are like bulls in the china shop, but we're really thankful you care enough about a high view of men to object in this way. Yeah. And so, more power to you guys. Keep it up. And and here are some ways to temper that. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's it's not like you have to act like these young guys are are completely sinless either. Sure. I mean, it's almost um, like Doug has a blog he writes on all the time in a podcast version <laughs> that he could, you know what I mean? That he could do that on. Yeah. And, um, and seriously, they should they should be like, Toby, you're going to sit this one out. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's also part of the plan. Yeah. Because Toby is a version of that. That's the thing. Like, Toby is a young man who's a bull in the china shop who actually needs to be around it a little bit. And like, I'm rooting for him. Yeah. So he needs to just sit this one out and learn from the older people for a little while. It doesn't mean he's disqualified or, you know, whatever. It just means you're not quite ready to take over for Paul yet. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I think for me, I'm, I'm trying to think of my own example of that. And I'm, it certainly has to do with uh, the kind of woke stuff in general. Yeah. You know, when I was in my mid 20s or so. I, I was definitely getting into that world. And I've told the story on here before about, you know, reading that hideous strength. But I, I also had some friends. Um, one guy, I'm, I'm not sure he would want me to name him, but uh, on, online he went by Taco at the time. And he, he was a, a, a bit older than me. And he would just press me on this stuff all the time and just wouldn't let me go about it because he saw what was happening. And he, he was right, even though I was kind of bucking against what he was saying. He was absolutely right. And he was right about where it would end up too if I didn't yeah. turn back from it. And he would just constantly push me on it. And I hated it. And I even felt like I was a better, um, like I could reason better and I could communicate my points better. And I always felt like I won the arguments. But like you said, he had the distinct advantage of being right. And um, that that trumps all the other arguments that you have. Yeah. Thank God. So, and so I, I had to go, come back to him, you know, years later and just be like, all right. You were right. I own it. Like I was, I was uh-huh. being foolish. I was being sinful. You, you were correct about all of this stuff. And you, just, you know, it's not, it's not fun, but you just got to do it. And yeah, you absolutely have to. And like we've talked about before, with confessing your sins, once you do do it, you realize how stupid it was to let that hang over you. For sure. So. Well, and we owe gratitude to whom gratitude is due, yeah. right? Yeah. It's a virtue. Uh, to pursue. Yeah. Um, so as we wrap things up, we always like to sort of end with a, an encouragement or positive exhortation to the people we've been talking to. What do you have for the, 
either the the boomers or the or the zoomers <laughs> um i'm gonna go back to what i said earlier if if we want this thing to get better it has to start with us as people who realize there's a problem so i had tweeted a while back that like one of the things people who realize nursing homes are a problem are going to have to do is say i'm going to adjust my life so that when my parents are old they won't go to a nursing home and it's going to suck. I mean, there's going to, you know, because society is all lined up in one way, it's going to be a really tough call and a tough sled to kind of pull in the other direction. But we got to do it. Yeah. And so I'm going to come back and just say, if you see that there's a problem with the previous generation handing off what they need to hand off, you should take that as an assignment to lovingly serve them and see how you can help them see that need and make it easier for them to do so. You're going to be frustrated. Because there's going to be a lot of stuff they don't hand off. It may get spent. It may get wasted. Whatever it is, but whatever you can get is going to be better than letting the problem uh, persist and nobody inherits anything. Yeah, yeah. You you have to let it stop with your generation. Yeah, and take responsibility for what's not your fault. Right? It's not your fault that they don't have a a succession plan. Yeah, but take responsibility and try to fix it. Yeah, I think. For me, the, the thing I would, especially the young guys who are really fired up about this stuff, which I totally get. I've been there and not, not too long ago um, is, you know, when, when the, your, your fathers come to you and, and tell you, you know, oh, you're just being a silly boy and you're freaking out and you're shrieking. The right answer is not to prove them right, to go hard at them and treat yeah. them like your enemy. That's well said. That's that's just gonna that's just gonna perpetuate everything that has been happening. And um, something I, I wrote a while ago. And actually, let me just read it. I posted this on Twitter a while back. I said I post a lot about boomers and their failures, and I totally get the resentment people of my generation have. But there's a real danger to the generational warfare when you participate in it. First of all, God tells us to honor our father and mother. Honoring parents doesn't mean agreeing with every decision they made but it certainly means we ought to give them the respect and honor they are due. If the Lord has been good enough to you to grow you beyond the wisdom of your parents, don't doubt he used them as a means to sanctify and grow you. Be thankful that the light you received may have been passed down from torches they carried. Similarly, consider that your own children, if you raise them well, are going to far surpass you in wisdom and godliness. Perhaps they will see clearly the sins that have blinded you. So approach your parents in their failures in the way that you want your children to approach you in yours. And then I did, <laughs> then I quoted the Wendell Berry passage that I was talking about earlier. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into the mold. Call that profit. Mm. Ben, with no hyperbole, that is downright eloquent and chock full of wisdom. I hope that is <laughs> widely read. I particularly love that line about the light you see by being passed down by the torches they carried. That is absolutely right. Yeah. So I, I hope that's helpful to people. I hope this episode has been helpful. And I, actually there is one other thing I want to say uh, for the people, you know, I'm, I'm going to bet we have some people who listen to this, who their pastor is Doug Wilson or their pastor is John MacArthur, yeah. or they love Al Mohler. I yeah. don't want you to hear us as just, you know, trashing these guys. I'm sure that they have been a great influence in your life. And that is wonderful. And you should feel a sense of um, uh, a sense of uh, loyalty to them. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Absolutely. totally, totally right and appropriate. So please don't hear us as just bad mouthing and trashing these men. We use them as of examples of a problem that we see, and we don't think that they are all bad all the time. We don't think they're horrible people. We don't hate them, but it's just something that we're trying to identify a problem and and point it out in a concrete way. And so please don't hear us attacking. You know, we don't we don't hate your pastor. We don't think you should leave your church. Um, but it's it's just something we want to keep our eyes on as we move forward. For sure. That's so well said, Ben. I'm glad you did. Uh, I will mourn uh, the loss of Al Mohler if I live to to see that yeah. day. Uh, I will cry like a baby if I live to see John MacArthur die. And if I live to see Doug Wilson die, I will probably feel like, you know, all is lost. <laughs> you know, I'll probably be it's pulled so like, over. Yeah, it's so <laughs> over. So none of this comes from anything but just I love those men. I'm so deeply grateful for them. And I want to see what they've built carry on. Yeah, exactly. All right. On that note, um, where can people find you if they want to hear more of your. <laughs> Merely Jay Wright on Twitter. Not a lot of wisdom to be found, but tweets are abounding. <laughs> and uh, uh, write Jeff on Gab. Yeah. And I am uh, at Bendle Larry on both Twitter and Gab. And those are going to be the best places to find things that I'm doing. Um, we would appreciate it if you enjoy the podcast or even if you don't and leave us a rating and a review that's always just helpful to get the word out there or even just post the podcast around here here thank y'all for listening